Acts 23, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. Uh, last week, Pastor Sunita preached a powerful word. She preached one today, too, but she preached a powerful <laughs> word last week. Um, <laughs> it was just about uh, the concept of being a citizen, right? She preached a word, a powerful word on being a citizen of a certain place or a country and the privileges that come with it, and also the injustices that can be doled out with your citizenship. And that citizenship in itself is actually evidence that not all people are equal. Today we have an interesting scene that we're looking at in the text. Uh, The Roman commander here is shocked that Paul has declared himself as a Roman citizen and he doesn't know what to do. So he needs to investigate. He calls in Jewish leadership in order to get a better picture about what's actually happening. So we're going to read from Acts 23, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There's a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Mm. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is precious because it's from you. And your word is powerful because it's from you. God, would only your word be heard today? And would your people receive this word? We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our passage today is kind of like the beginning of the end of Paul's long saga 
of troubles in Jerusalem. Right? It starts with him having to report to the church in Jerusalem and then them telling him that he needs to go through the purification rites even though he didn't really quite agree with what was going on there. And then this mob rises up because he's giving his testimony and then he's arrested and he's with these guards and they're about to torture him and flog him. And now we find him arguing with the Sanhedrin which will eventually lead in the next coming chapters to them attempting to kill him. And in the midst of it all, Jesus affirms Paul's faithfulness. Jesus stands with Paul. And he says, keep your chin up, Paul. You've been faithful, Paul. Just like you testified here in Jerusalem, I need you to testify now in Rome. I actually find the beginning scene here pretty amusing right, and everything that happens, actually, because you have Paul on one side, and then you have the Sanhedrin on another, and then you kind of have this, like, neutral Roman third party just watching what's happening between the two of them, and in actuality, this character setup that we have here gives us this microcosm of what it looks like when the world is watching the church today. It, it gives us an example of what that looks like because, in all honesty, the world should be watching the church. I mean, granted, we've taken the back seat on a lot of things, but Ephesians 3.10, God's intent was that it would be through the church that his manifold wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God chose the church to reveal himself, to display himself to the world. You are called to do that. The church is called to do that. That is why it means that our faith is not called to remain in this building. Our faith is not called to remain in our homes. God created us with his image. And with that, he gave us a command to be fruitful and to multiply. And being fruitful and multiplying doesn't mean just having babies. Right? Because it means that you take this image, it's this directive that you take it and you go and you fill the earth with this image. You fill the earth with God's word. You fill the earth and that is how you can be prophetic as a church. You see, when, when Christians, when Christ followers go out into the world, they bring the light of Jesus Christ with them. And when they do that, darkness shrinks back. When they do that, when they reach out, when the church reaches out in this way, landscapes change. Because the prophetic church is an effective church. So today's focus is on two issues. The first issue we're gonna look at is the integrity of our faith. The integrity of our faith. And the second issue we're gonna look at is the allegiance of our faith. And then we're going to look at the text and shed some light on how we fail or succeed to be prophetic in these ways. All right, so two sections and then the failure and success of both. The issue of integrity. Verses one to three. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Paul looks at the council, greets them cordially, brothers. 
brothers. And then as he speaks, the high priest is so offended, he orders someone to hit him on the mouth, right? And you know, like, if someone punches you in the mouth today, that's offensive, right? But this is a serious offense, and Paul's all riled up, and he's going at Ananias. But right now, I want us to focus on that phrase, fulfilled my duty, right? If you can underline it, highlight it, whatever. Fulfilled my duty. That phrase is actually better translated from the Greek as have lived as a citizen. My brothers, I have lived as a citizen to God in good conscience to this day. My brothers, I have lived as one of God's people in good conscience today. This is a really bold statement, yes. But this statement also implicitly says, Sanhedrin, you have not been living as God's people today, regardless of how close you keep the laws of our people. And we need to reflect on what it took Paul to be able to utter this statement. Right? Remember where Paul came from and how he got here into this moment. Because Paul was a famous Pharisee. He was famous. He enjoyed the position, the lofty positions of the temple. Right? He was a scholar of the Torah. He was very, very acclaimed in his teaching. His teacher was famous. His teacher had the ear of the Sanhedrin and spoke into that council. So in actuality, his life didn't really look that different to these guys right here. It didn't until he met Jesus Christ. It didn't look different until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, his life was never the same. Violently different life. He's chased out now whenever he speaks. He has his life threatened over and over again. He's beaten. He's flogged. He, he has to speak the word, the gospel, to these dirty Gentiles now. He's arrested. He's interrogated. But he can't stop. He won't stop. Because the integrity of his faith, the zeal that he has for his Savior Jesus, moves him forward to spread God's word. When we read this as followers of Christ, naturally, the, net, the first question that needs to come to mind is, now that I've met Jesus, is my life different? Now that I've met Jesus, is my life different? Is it violently different from what it looked before? And I use that word violently because Isaiah 53, God crushed his son to make him a sin offering for us. And this is a challenge to us as believers. Can you say you have fulfilled your duty to God. And for a second, not even that you know, you're fully fulfilling this. Are you trying your best to fulfill your duty to God? Are you doing your best to live as a citizen of God? That when you falter, when you fail, are you desperate to make things right? Does that burn in your heart? I think a lot of times 
we ask the, the wrong questions. Right? I, I, hear, I hear this a lot. Doug, I make a lot of money. You know, like an offering is really hard. Tithing is really hard. How much of it do you think I can keep so that it's okay? A lot of times I hear, Doug, Doug, <laughs> not having sex. When, when I'm not married, that's hard. So how close can I get before it's sex? Come on. Come on. You know, some of you may be visiting this church today, and that's awesome. <laughs> I, I do believe that the mindset and the stance that we ha- need to have is when you come in, what can I give to this church rather than what can I get? I mean, imagine. Imagine this, right? You give your testimony and a mob comes up and tries to kill you every time. That is the level of integrity Paul has in his faith. That is the level of his obedience to Jesus. What is yours? Paul's not happy because he was punched in the mouth. So he looks at the high priest and he says, you whitewashed wall. This is referring to Ezekiel 13. Um, When they had these walls, they were flimsy, they were cracked, they were ugly. And what they would do is they would just plaster over these walls and make them white. They They would look like good walls. And God just shares his disdain for these walls. And he declares that he's gonna destroy all of them because he hates their falseness. So if you're confused about why Paul is saying this, we need to remember that there's hypocrisy amongst the Sanhedrin. Right? This is Jesus to the Pharisees from Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Jesus goes on for 25 more verses. You hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. That on the outside, yeah, you look fine, but on the inside, you're rotting graves. Paul calls the high priest a whitewashed wall. He says, your character is fake. Your inner life doesn't match this exterior. This is a facade. This is a veneer because you've missed the heart of the laws that you try to abide by. See, we're not asking for legalism here. We're not asking for perfection. God does not call for perfection. The Father calls for your heart. 
The Father calls for your heart. God uses the brokenhearted to be the display of his wisdom. God uses broken jars to bring living water to the world. That is our God. That is our God. See, the prophetic church must have integrity in its faith. And that's why I believe Jesus calls for us to do a lot of things in secret. Right? He calls for us, pray in secret. Let no one see you pray. When you fast, don't make weird faces to show people that you're hungry. Right? Like, don't do that. Stop. Just fast. Be faithful in your daily lives. Julian the Apostate, he was the last pagan emperor of Rome. And during his reign, a lot of Christians were persecuted. But also during his reign, these Christians, they caught his eye. They caught his eye so much so that he wrote a bunch of letters. And here are just two comments that he makes about them. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the Galileans observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They supported not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And then this emperor, he eventually writes his chief priest to impose that all the pagan priests imitate the Christians. Right? This is his letter. Why then do we think that this is sufficient and do not observe how the kindness of Christians to strangers, their care for the burial of their dead, and the sobriety of their lifestyle has done the most to advance their cause? Each of these things, I think, ought really to be practiced by us. It is not sufficient for you alone to practice them. No, but so must all the priests in Galatia without exception, either make these men good by shaming them, persuade them to become so, or fire them. Secondly, exhort the priests neither to approach a theater nor to drink in a tavern nor to profess any base or infamous trade. Honor those who obey, expel those who disobey. Imitate the Christians. Yes, wow. And these Christians... I mean, they were being persecuted. So they weren't like trying to gain any platform. They weren't trying to gain any attention or status. They just garnered the attention of the emperor of Rome because they were being faithful in their daily lives. Being faithful in their daily lives changed an empire. When you are faithful as a church, when the church reaches out, when the church has integrity in its faith, it changes the landscape of everything around it. Amen? Amen. We are called to operate that way. Amen? Amen. Mm. Paul's accusation of the high priest towards the end, he says, you know, you yourself break the laws when you accuse me of breaking the law. He's citing a passage from Leviticus. And essentially what he's saying there is, I am innocent because that passage says you shall not harm uh, a powerless innocent. And Paul tells him, I'm innocent ever so subtly. I'm innocent. Verse four and five. Those who are standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. 
I read Paul's response here as sarcastic, right? Paul is a Pharisee. Of course he knew who the high priest was. Of course he's going to recognize this guy. That word realize is actually better translated as perceives. I did not perceive he was the high priest. Essentially, high priest my butt. You ain't no high priest. And that ruler that he mentions in this verse, I believe he's talking about Jesus. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus Christ is Paul's high priest. No one else. And this segues us into our second issue, the issue of the allegiance of our faith. Verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man they said what if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem so you must also testify in Rome. Paul is crafty as a viper and as innocent as a dove here. See, he knows that these two groups have very distinct differences. And so he yells out in this group, right? And he kind of gives sort of like a micro testimony of his life. I am a Pharisee. I descended from a line of Pharisees. I'm kind of Pharisee royalty. That's who I am. But I stand here accused because of my hope in the resurrection. And he is talking about Jesus Christ here. Because you see, this is a very smart move because he probably knew they would cause dissension among the Sanhedrin. But what he is doing is he's declaring his one true hope. And that is literally, literally what he is on trial here for. That's literally what he's been doing all throughout Acts up until this point. And he will continue to do so in the coming chapters to be on trial over and over again, pledging himself to Christ Jesus. The allegiance of his faith is so clear. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, they have their own opinions and thoughts on resurrection and their own intentions because they want to go with what better suits them. They are looking for what better suits their purposes. This one statement leads to a violent disagreement between them. And this is a sight to see. You have to note this because at the time, Rome as an empire, they let um, the smaller countries just govern themselves. Right? Govern yourselves. We won't worry about you. you. You do your thing. And the Sanhedrin was the highest form of local government at that time. So you have the highest local government officials just going at it, and they're just watching this. 
The Pharisees immediately side with Paul. They had just accused him. They had been trying to kill him, but now they side with Paul. We see nothing wrong with him now. He's good. We're good. All because their allegiance is to themselves. Has anyone here ever witnessed or experienced a church split? I mean, some of you may have come here because of a church split, and that's okay, right? Your leadership was probably in the wrong. But man, it's a lot of drama. It's a lot of drama. And I know it doesn't matter what your background is or you know, who your people are. Everyone got drama, but Koreans, <laughs> we know drama. Koreans, we know the drama. You're all laughing because you know it's true. See, I went to a Korean-American youth group uh, when I was in high school. And it was a big church, a big, beautiful building, rich congregation, a huge plot of land. And, you know, I was here, and I actually had no idea what was going on in church because, you know, I, I was just there, and my parents didn't go. All I knew was that one Sunday, the police started showing up every week. Like four or five police cars in the parking lot. And they were breaking up fights, like fist fights at the church. And these aren't young people fighting. These are people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, dressed up in their Sunday best, cussing each other out and fighting at the church. I've seen it. These were our deacons and elders doing this. So when I read this text, I have a very clear picture in my mind because I saw it. I mean, I remember I saw this elderly Korean man and they were holding him back and he was yelling at this other guy. And if a Korean person is angry at you, this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear, like, Ma? Right? That means, what you say? Say it again. Say it again. Say it to my face. That's what, that's what that means. Right? So he's, he's being held back and he's screaming at this guy. I had no idea what he was saying because my Korean's not that good. But my youth pastor translated it for me. Right? <laughs> and so. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on, give me. I don't want to mess this up. It's like, it's kind of poetic. <clears throat> he look, he's yelling. He goes, I will beat you so badly. That even if it's pouring rain, dust will come off your clothes. <laughs> Let that sit. It's poetic. <laughs> I will beat you so badly, even though it's pouring rain, dust will come off your clothes. Dang. That was, that was our leadership. That was our church's deacons and elder board acting like a mob over church issues, over the body of Christ issues, just because they couldn't agree to disagree, bare minimum. Not asking for wild wisdom or breakthrough, just couldn't agree to disagree. And that was their witness to the youth. That was their witness to me. That was their witness to their church, and that was their witness to the community surrounding that beautiful church building. They didn't care. 
They cared more about being right and being respected. And you know, when we read this text, when we read about the Sanhedrin, it's easy to think, that's not me. That's not me. Be careful. Be careful. Division within the church can be very subtle. We fail when our allegiance in our faith is outside of anything of Jesus Christ. Even our families. And I'm not telling you all, go neglect your families, right? But even our families and ourselves can become idols. The allegiance of our faith must, to, must be to Jesus Christ. And if Paul's life is any indicator of what it looks like to have full integrity in our faith and to be fully pledged to Christ, it might seem impossible to uphold. And it might seem rather painful. But Paul's example here does leave us with an application step. And that is to share your testimony. Share your testimony. And also, it's to believe that your testimony has power because God is in your testimony. I hear, I, I get this a lot too. Some people, Doug, my testimony sucks. What? It's like my testimony, I wish I went through more stuff because my, there's nothing in my, what? What? It's not interesting. What? Your testimony is beautiful because God wrote it. Your testimony is powerful because God wrote it. Share your testimony. And if you fail, that's okay. If you fail in your faith, that's fine. Share your failure. Make that a part of your testimony. Invite people into the redemption process. And I get it. Being vulnerable is abnormal today. It is. And it makes sense because being vulnerable is literally to open yourself up to danger, right? It's literally to open yourself up to wounding. But here we see Jesus stands with you. The following night, verse 11, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Share your testimony. There's power in your testimony. When I was in college, I went through a lot of dark things. Um, And, you know, I used to experience a lot of shame when I reflected on that. But, you know, I've healed a lot from that. But I still do have a lot of regrets from the things I've I've done. And, you know, when when I think about myself back then, I was really angry. I was really insecure. I was really selfish. And I had no idea really who God was. Who is God? The God I knew was this, this, this being that came into my life and punished me when I was wrong or bad and then left me to fend for myself. That was God. And around the time I was starting to commit my life to Christ, uh, I had a, a, a certain small group leader. He's a great guy, but the only reason I really met up with him is because he'd offered me to buy food. <laughs> it was great. He was a great guy, and he'd always take me to Ruby, Ruby Tuesdays. 
I don't know why, but I love Ruby Tuesdays, right? So we'd go and we'd sit down and we'd eat there. And one, one time we're just eating and he looks at me and he says, Doug, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you my story? And you know, I'm eating the food he bought me, so I can't say no. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, tell me the story. So he starts sharing about his dad. And he starts sharing about how his dad was a good dad, really good dad, and how he loved his dad so much. And then he went on to share about how they weren't really Christians, but you know, they would visit church here and there. And one day, his good dad sits him down and says, son, I'm dying. I'm terminally ill. So we need to prepare for when you're the man of the house. And as he's sharing, you know, the first thing that my head takes me to is, okay, you know, he's going to share about this time and then God is going to come and do this miraculous healing in his life. Right? But that meant nothing to me because I didn't know God like that. But he continues and he said, you know, so we prepared for him to pass and then he died. And then a few weeks later, my mom passed away. She died in her sleep. And he looks at me across the table and he says, God was so faithful to me. What? God was so faithful. And he said the church that they would visit, they sent lawyers to take care of their assets and make sure everything was done well. And then they sent financial managers to make sure that him and his brother could go to college. And then they had people offer their homes for months at a time so that they had a place to stay while school was out. And you know, he shared all these things and the anger inside of me wanted to tell him, but aren't you so angry? Aren't you asking why God? Why? He just looked at me, he smiled, and he said, God is good. God has been so good to me. And in that moment, I saw a piece of God I had never known before. This image was so new to me almost as if it was blurred out and then also now there's this clarity there. This small group leader was God's manifold wisdom on display for me. That he could testify even through pain, even through loss, God is good. Hmm. And that planted a seed in me that changed my life. Metro, we want to be a light in Englewood. We do. But in order to do that, we need to show this city the integrity of our faith and who we pledge our allegiance to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.
just take a moment and stand before the Lord. If this is something you're not really good at, I want you to actually just imagine yourself standing in like a throne room, right? Revelation says, you know, God sits on his throne. Imagine a throne room, whatever that looks like for you. Stand before the king of kings. This God does not shame you. This God does not condemn you. He looks at you and he says, you are justified because of the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. He looks at you and he says, you are a son, you are a daughter. So approach the throne in that way. Today we sang a song. That song said, God is so good. Can you declare that in your pain, in your loss, in your stress, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your shame? Can you declare God is so good and release that to him? A lot of times, we just, we cling on to things. And we hold them close to us because we think if we let them go a little bit, if we let them get out of control, things will spiral out. That if I release this to God, who knows what will happen? Many of us are actually just naked and afraid. But I want you to take that question and flip it. That if you release this to God, who knows what will happen? That if God takes it, what could it look like for it to be redeemed? For it to be remolded, reshaped. For God to take your past, whatever is in your past, reveal things to you about yourself that one day you could look back and say, I'm proud of that version of me. I'm proud because that person survived those things. I'm proud that I can stand here today. God does not call for perfection. He calls for your heart. He calls for the brokenhearted. He's inviting you to himself. He's inviting you to himself. Let him take you. If there are any broken relationships in this room, can you declare God is so good? God is so good that God could take those things and mend those things. That he could breathe life into dead marriages, old friendships. We sang another song 
And we sang about God's reckless love. Do you believe that God paid all that for you? For you. And because of that, you have infinite value. Infinite value. You are his treasure. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this room, Lord. And we ask, God, would you help us to let go? Lord, would you help us to approach your throne, not in shame, not bent down and doubled over, Lord. But, Lord, would you help us to see you, your face, to receive your mercy, your grace, your justification, Lord, and take it into action, Lord. We pray for the integrity of our faith, God for the allegiance of our faith, Lord, that you would move through it. Move through your people, Lord. Change hearts the way you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your communication card, uh, flip it over. We have some next steps. The first is I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. This is great news. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, right outside those double doors, there's a table called the next table. And someone will be out there to wait, to pray for you, to answer any of your questions, to just talk with you. Definitely check that out. The second is, I will partner with a close friend and be intentional about confessing my sin and my shame to them regularly. So this is not just about having a clear conscience. This is about spiritual release. This is about hearing someone tell you that Christ has forgiven you and empowering you that way. The third is I will be intentional about praying for and reconciling broken relationships I have within the church. This is tough. But if you commit to it, you know, I really just suggest really commit to the prayer aspect of this. Let, let God change your heart. Let forgiveness heal this relationship. The fourth is I will sign up for Jack emails and be intentional about being an outreaching community. Sunita would love to have you partner with her in outreaching to the community of Englewood. Right? We are not called to stay here. We are called to go out. And the fifth is I will attend the partnership class on September 15th. If you've been coming out to our church for a while and you've been to the Connections Dinner, this is definitely um, like a, the church that you really want to uh, commit to and you love the mission and the values, then you need to go to the partnership class. Right? Come on board. Partner with us. Have a say at our church. Love to have you there.